Three, two, one. Are we here? Are we there? Last week I was told the to countdown from 10. This week I was told the to countdown from five. We're not going to do any kind of countdown, uh, but we're happy that you're here with us. Uh, welcome to Dispatch Live. Happy Tuesday. I'm here with Declan Garvey, Haley Bird, and we have a lot to talk about. Um, I mean, we often have a lot to talk about, but I feel like this week in particular, stuff is happening. Um, and it happens to be things that uh, these two um, dispatch writers know quite a bit about. So we're going to jump in on on Capitol Hill, um, on what's happening there, on uh, the Republican leadership fight, which is very interesting and I think far from being determined, far from over. We'll talk a little presidential politics, post-Trump GOP, if we are in fact at a post-Trump moment, and then take a lot of your questions. If you have questions, please send them in and uh, we will incorporate them as, as we go. Um, and otherwise we'll wait till the end and we'll stack them all up and, and get to them at that point. Um, hey guys, how's it going? Happy Tuesday. Yeah, things are good. Happy Tuesday. Now, this is Declan's time. I mean, Declan is the happy Tuesday guy. In the morning dispatch, do you have a joke for us? Do you have a little witty <coughs> aside I, that we can all smile about and think like, oh, that was clever? You you joke. That's what takes the longest uh, <laughs> in the newsletter. I, I will. We finish it at like 4 p.m. pretty much every day. And then I sit there for seven really? or eight hours. Really? Uh, just, just thinking of the best possible joke. To, if you sit there for there. seven or eight hours, why are you often in the document when I get in at 530 in the morning? <laughs> If you finish at four, you sit there for seven or eight hours. I'm not great yeah. at math. That's why I went into journalism. The parents are watching. Don't don't let them know how little I sleep. <laughs> Longtime dispatch readers will um, might have noticed that writing the intro is very difficult. I used to do an intro in uphill and stopped a couple of months ago, and it made my job like fifty percent easier. So should we should we pause here? I mean, this is actually a sort of 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 a fun. There's there's a lot of stuff to talk about. Uh, I was just <laughs> on the hill doing some reporting. Haley's been doing some reporting. Terrific uphill today. Um, Declan is doing a bunch of reporting for a lot of different things, but it, it might be worth dwelling here for a moment. So so regular G file readers and regular G file readers can go back at this point two decades, right? Um, know the G file, you know, the rhythm, you know, the, the jokes, you know, Jonah's pause, which is now, da, 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 and then he gets into the argument. Um, there, there's a, there's a, a familiarity about it all. Jonah says the hardest thing about the G file every week. I mean, the, the Friday G file is the dear reader, you know, the dear reader joke. And I probably, I don't think I'm revealing more than he would be comfortable with, but if I am, he's overseas. Yeah. <laughs> he can't do much at this point. <laughs> um, but, but that takes him forever. The dear reader can He said, he told me that he regrets coming up with it. Correct. Two decades ago. It, yeah. Correct. Um, and I'm, it, I get what he's saying. Yeah. <laughs> with the, uh, with the TMD jokes. Well, so the biggest, the biggest, um, conversation piece as we launched the dispatch and talked about how we wanted to do it, what he was going to do and what I was going to do was when we talked about doing a second G file, um, which would be the midweek G file, which by the way, um, well, you're all members because you're, you're joining us here. I was going to say, if you're not members, the only way you can get it is by being a member, uh, but you're all members. So you get it. Uh, the big question going into it was, do I want to commit to this, to the shtick? Do I want to commit to that joke? <laughs> that was the hardest thing, but he's, he's committed. Um, he doesn't do it that way. He's, there's a different, different way in every time. Um, but highly entertaining. I, so I think that's one of the, the reasons that the morning dispatch has the engagement that it has, which for those of you watching very high, uh, is because it's pretty consistently, Pretty consistently good, pretty consistently high level. Um, and the Chicago times when sports it, gives me a lot of fodder. I, I was so. gonna say the times when it fails and the times when <laughs> I edit you out. <laughs> um, yeah. and then my jokes fail. 
So uh, let's jump into the actual um, discussion. There's a lot to talk about tonight. Um, Haley, we are in this lame duck moment. Congress today is not what Congress will look like after uh, January, after the new Congress is sworn in. And there's a lot to do. Um, bearing in mind that a lot of people watching are not following every twist and turn and every contour of the debate, what has to happen in this session? And uh, that's question number one. Question number two, what do you think is likely to happen? Uh, and where do those overlap? I have some news. Well, I, I, like I'm not breaking the news, but it happened like 10 seconds before we logged on. Um, like the senior appropriators who were negotiating a spending deal said that they have come to an agreement on an omnibus spending package. So um, that is the biggest order of business. It would, I mean, I, they haven't released the details yet, but I'm assuming it would fund the government through the um, this fiscal year. So that's at least through October. So can you, so, so let me pause you. What is an omnibus spending package it's it, and, it's, and it sounds like right now yeah like <laughs> the way that you're framing this it sounds like that's a good thing okay and, so, I, and I would so, agree to you i would agree with you in this moment an omnibus spending bill might be a good thing but if you're a limited government conservative like i am is it a good thing in a sort of a global sense if you're the kind of person who wants the government not to be funded it's a bad thing for you. But but if you're the kind of person who thinks the government should be funded, then it's great because we've written about this a lot, but this, this majority in the house that is going to be coming in next year, um, it's going to be a very uh, tough margin. It's, those kinds of spending fights are the places where whoever ends up being speaker could be ousted uh, from the speakership. Like, that it, the, the margin is that close and the fights are going to be that intense. Um, so so while you've had like uh, Kevin McCarthy going on Fox News and saying, we should wait until the next Congress because then we'll have more leverage. Kevin McCarthy's life is a lot easier if they pass this spending bill because it, you know, I've talked to political scientists, I've talked to lawmakers about this. If they pass funding through October, that gives House Republicans, you know, several months to sort of get the investigations underway to sort of find their like stride to try to strike some kind of unity whereas if they had to like pass a funding bill in january it was it would be chaos um, so the two it, the, the two big possibilities going into this moment of 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 breaking news were a continuing resolution on the one hand and an omnibus spending bill on the other. If you are not following Congress at all, and you're just tuning in because you thought it was a good idea on a Tuesday night to have a cocktail and hang out with us, what is a continuing resolution? What is an omnibus spending package? And I would love should, to should we this. care? <laughs> I know this is so your moment, but should we care in a macro sense? So yes. Them? So. Continuing resolutions generally keep the government funded at the levels that they are currently funded. And Congress is actually going to pass one of these for like a week this week right. to keep it because they haven't actually finished the bill um, for the spending bill. And the deadline is this Friday. So you're going to pass one of those, keep the government open. I mean, I'm assuming they're going to pass one of those. I'm not, we don't know how it'll end up. Um, but the outlines of, of, of one were shared today correct yes a broad a broad frame framework framework for, is yes right. framework they have to release the details later um but a continuing resolution basically keeps the government funded congress sometimes includes what they call anomalies which are you keep most of the government funded at the same levels but we all agree you know florida needs disaster relief after a hurricane so we'll throw that in there um so there was always the possibility that they would throw in a few things that they agreed on even if they had like couldn't reach a full spending agreement um but now that they're actually pursuing an omnibus deal these are the kind this like this is the end of unified democratic governance for the next two years. Like, so I, their priority was getting through some of the things that they really want to get right. through and that's Ukraine aid. Um, and so it's, it's very likely and expected that we'll see. Um, I think it's 40 something billion dollars, but don't like, I, I would need to check the details <laughs> and they haven't, again, they haven't released the final details, but um, the administration has requested a certain amount and, and lawmakers were talking about even higher than that. Um, for Ukraine aid. So that's the kind of thing you'll see, but it's it's going to be touching all corners of government. It's going to be touching all kinds of priorities. It's going to be a 
long bill. Um, but also omnibus bills sometimes have like really random policy plans that people have been pushing for the whole Congress. And this is like the vehicle to pass it. Um, I remember and the reason it's the vehicle to pass it, just to jump in, is because an omnibus spending package more or less has to pass, right? I right. Mean, the government doesn't get funded. Things don't happen in the U.S. government unless this thing <clears> gets passed. And this is all, and, and I'd love for you to provide uh, additional context here. I mean, this is all our, our sort of governing by crisis. Yes. Like yes. The, the new normal, <laughs> which which I think is horrible, um, in part because we pass omnibus bills so people can attach stuff that they think is must pass that might actually be worth, you know, a debate or a discussion. So um, I will say a, a lot, a lot of the, like sometimes people get mad when they see an, like there was an omnibus. I think it was one of the second pandemic related one. It was like the end of the Congress. It was like this really big aid package and people were like, they found this bill in there that had been inserted that was, it was a Tibetan policy act and the human rights community, like they have been trying to like push that kind of bill and everybody's just like roasting it on Twitter. Like, what does this have to do with the pandemic? It's like, this was the only opportunity to pass this it's actually a really good bill. Like it, like it has funding for like language preservation and like funding for news to Tibet and that, <clears throat> that kind of thing. Um, and so I think sometimes people take up their frustration on the like very disjointed congressional process on these bills that like people have been trying to pass it. Some of them are like important and this is their only, you know, opportunity to pass it. But again, like it is, a, it is a very disjointed congress congressional but, but process. Hey, and often, and often you hear like the most like caustic part of this process is the, the mindset that lawmakers have that we can't do anything unless we have a deadline. And like, right. and that, that comes up all the time. And yeah, it'd be weird if journalists operated like that. Right. I, mean, <laughs> I can't the, judge too hard. Yeah. <laughs> Haley, what, what is in a situation like this, when, you know, there is this must pass bill to, to kind of sidestep and answer a question that Phil Harris sent in, in the chat um, about the electoral count act. Schumer said today, um, majority Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer said they're probably going to attach that to the omnibus bill. If you're a limited government conservative and you support that provision, the Electoral Count Act, but it's lumped together with it these limits, trillions of dollars of spending, you know, how do you you have to decide one yes or no vote on everything. And so how do you yeah. how do these lawmakers make those decisions? You know, I, I support I mean the sixty percent of it, but the assumption is always like you might and people always do rag on like Republicans who oppose some giant spending bill, but they're like telling their constituents how to get like right. disaster relief that passed and like, oh, they didn't support this. Like, yes, that is just a function of the process. If it's if you're going to include everything in one bill and something is a deal breaker for someone like you can sort of like vote no on most of it in your like in that is your effective vote while still being like, OK, this is a good thing. I'm glad it passed. And some um, of them, some of the people who vote no help draft the legislation mm -hmm. that ends up in those provisions. So they're they're voting no on the whole package, but they contributed to kind of help make sure that their priorities are included in some way right and it's yeah. not like they're like the determining vote on these right. kinds of things like on, a, on an omnibus bill at the end of the session you're just assuming it's going to pass um so but i i am interested to see what kind of pressure republican senators will be facing um you've sort of seen the messaging pick up from like conservative media republican house members like saying you guys you shouldn't pass an omnibus bill because we're going to have the house and like that's what kevin mccarthy was saying again like i think that would be a really chaotic situation in like in practice but um they're like they're he's, he's probably saying it, this i mean this is where you get the phrase vote no hope yes or vote yes hope no where these lawmakers are casting a vote one way um praying and hoping that enough of their colleagues will vote the other way so that you know the thing that they want to get done gets done but they don't have to personally take the responsibility for it yeah um right. and this Andy, is this is the last time you'll you'll just need 10 republican senators and right. so some of them are retiring. So that like gives you several who might support it. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you about the, what the final vote will be. But like the main argument when Republicans <clears throat> do support a bill like this, the Defense Department was pushing very hard for like a full funding of the government, because if they had a continuing resolution, it would have kept 
you know, programs at their current levels, they wouldn't have been able to do like pay increases. They wouldn't have been able to open um, new programs, new like activities that they're wanting to do. And so they were really pressing in recent uh, recent weeks um, to to do this, to do an agreement like this instead so, of doing. So the point of that, well, let's pause there for a second, and then I have another question um, that we talked about quite a bit in our editorial call on uh, yesterday. Um, so I'll put you on the spot a little bit. On the defense um, budgeting, the reason the Pentagon wants, doesn't like these continuing resolutions, doesn't like the short-term spending options is because it prevents long-term planning. And the Defense Department can't snap its fingers and in six months fund a fighter jet, a new fighter jet program, a new stealth bomber. They need the kind of long-term funding that, I mean, Ideally, regular government budgeting would provide, but in some cases, as a as a poor substitute, this kind of omnibus spending bill would provide. Um, let me go back to to something you said uh, just a couple minutes ago. Um, this this bill that was widely um, approved by the human rights community, the, the, the Tibet that, bill. Yeah, the way that you described it is. Um, and, and I'm putting words in your mouth, so feel free to correct me. This is a good bill. People wanted it. It's something that should pass Congress or probably may, probably would, would have had a majority pass Congress. Why can't they just take that and take it out of the whole process and say, this is this good thing. Let's just as a deliberative body, the Senate, vote it on is it. the Senate's fault. So I like I would need to check. It is usually the Senate's fault because their like their process is really slow. And so when you have something that passes the House with like 434 votes and the one like opposing vote is Thomas Massey, like that happened a lot. That session of Congress, I remember like covering those bills, China related, Hong Kong related. And I like several of those ended up in end of the year omnibus packages because like the House has the time to deliberate and pass those kinds of things. The, their process allows leadership to like bring it up to the floor pretty quickly. Um, so so usually, and that's how I knew about the Tibet bill. People were like, where'd this come from? Like the House passed it with overwhelming support. Um, and it just, it never really got. But should we like, be frustrated by that? Like, let's say we're normal people, which applies <laughs> to you and me, but maybe not to Declan because he's a Chicago <laughs> sports fan. But for most of the people watching tonight, we're normal people. And the way that Congress should work, the way that our government should work would be if there's a consensus, as I said, for Declan. Ryan, do we have an option to just, like, turn his video off? Um, <laughs> the, the way a normal process should work would be this is an interesting thing worthy of debate potentially worthy of, of of passing this legislation on let's have the debate let's pass the bill and yet it's it almost never happens that way and i think normal people stop and say why can't we do it that way what's the answer to that question so again this was a couple of years ago and then like you have to and my background is in House process. So like my understanding of the Senate is a little bit more vague than my understanding so, so of how the House pa works. Pause for a second and give people yes. context. Haley worked at the Weekly Standard. She was a terrific reporter at the Weekly Standard. Thank the Weekly <laughs> Standard was 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 shut down unjustly by uh, rapacious, um, obnoxious <laughs> people. Um, and Haley then went to CNN where she was a House producer yes and was sort of the expert on house process and this well, is I was working on works it. and <laughs> it okay. was it was a good job because like I I did have to follow all of the process and it was it was fun it was also like way too much I think they replaced me with like three people which was the correct thing to do for a chamber that large um I'm anticipating a similar argument here right <laughs> you're about to say you need three people working with you on on uphill. some minions um <laughs> No, no, I, I think what gets lost in some of this, the Senate really does take a long time for most of their like deliberations. And um, that's just how they work. They like when they want to go quickly, they have to get approval from everyone. It's called unanimous consent. And that happens a lot for an, an uncontroversial bills. But I think oftentimes offices just assume this is going to end up in some kind of package if it has that much support in the House. Like and, and so I they would rather be using the floor time for confirming judges. And I'm, 
again, I would need to check the, like the details and make sure that it never did come up in the Senate, but I'm pretty sure it didn't. Um, at least, like, um, it never came up for a vote at the time the Tibet bill that we've been talking about. But I would have to check if someone tried to do unanimous consent or a voice vote. It's possible someone did at some point, um, and someone like said no. But I don't know. I just I do know that most of the time they're using that calendar process, those kinds of votes for like judicial nominees. And that was when uh, Republicans had the Senate. And that was obviously like the big priority. That that right there is a reason why so many people on the Hill do not like the libertarian members of Congress, because they are almost always the people who like block the unanimous consent votes. Um, it is if true. you remember, if you remember early in the pandemic, um, when like we did not know how bad or severe COVID was, and they were trying to pass the the CARES Act and get these trillions of dollars out at his stimulus bill. And Thomas Massey um, basically was like, everybody from across the country needs to fly back to DC to vote on this in person instead of doing it via unanimous consent, because I want to have a debate on, on this. And people were not pleased at all. <laughs> so there were there were like valid complaints because they had like lead, it was almost entirely leadership written and it was like very sudden. Yeah, and it's like four they, trillion dollars in spending. Right. It's that, a huge you know, bill. Probably, yeah. Um, but like the public health concerns are are real. So <laughs> anyway. So Haley, let me go one step deeper on this and then and then I promise we'll we'll move on to other things for people who aren't, aren't as concerned about this as as I am. And I, it sounds like a good number of our, our members are. So S Stephen Lentz writes in, omnibus and CR bills have been funding the government since longer than I can remember. And I'll avoid a sarcastic comment about that. Will Congress ever approve a budget on time? It's a great question, but let me add to the end of the question. What does it even look like? I mean, Haley, that's never happened since you've been covering Congress. Like, what so, does regular again, budgets actually, what, is not, that, what does that process look like? Not to rag on the Senate too much, but I have watched the House do it on time. <laughs> I think more than <laughs> once um, since I got here. And the set, it depends on who's in power, but like the Senate in recent years has just like given up. And even for like the NDAA, they don't vote on it for we'll, we'll watch them vote on national, it this week that's the national defense the defense bill it, it, it like authorizes programs tells the like the defense pentagon Very what important. to do it's important but it doesn't like fund it any of it i just wanted to make that distinction the senate didn't actually vote on their own the house had their own process earlier this year they voted on amendments it was like a huge deal the whole debate on all of it passed it and then like they quietly negotiated a compromise version that the senate's going to consider like the senate never did their own process on the ndaa um and i believe it's the second year in the row that in a row that they did that it's similar for government funding like i want in recent years like the house has passed 12 appropriations bills and like this is the house's priorities like it's not like expected to pass in the way that they are passing it but that's the whole point of the process is to like bring forward your bills and then right. conference it um and in years when they do that like the senate like doesn't pass any <laughs> like it's they leave it up till the last minute so i don't know i don't know if a budget or it like a coherent appropriations process will be happening next year yeah, there's, um, there's little reason to bet that it will i the people i have point. spoken with think it's possible people there'll be so much bandwidth being used elsewhere i, it, I think the interesting thing to see investigations invest i mean yeah i'm interested if the house is going to do it because republicans talk about that kind of thing all the time like we should go back to regular order this kind of thing and it's possible they will like it's like Democrats have been able to do it and possible Demo uh, Republicans will do the same thing. And, you know, you have committee chairs who are really into like water resources and like they will spend time on their, you know, various appropriations bills. But I don't think like the budget process as laid out as Congress should be following it. I, don't, I highly doubt that that will happen. So Declan, Haley's done some terrific reporting in Uphill. Um, and for those of you watching who are not subscribed to Uphill, who do not get it in your inbox, I highly recommend that you do so, particularly as we go through this tumultuous uh, time over the next several weeks, next several months, and probably the next several years, to be honest. Um, Haley's done a good job of of chronicling what the leadership battles are going to look like, what what this means for Kevin McCarthy, um, and kind of where this all goes from here. Uh, I've been doing my own sort of informal uh, survey of House Republicans about 
Kevin McCarthy's the likelihood that Kevin McCarthy, who has done virtually everything he possibly can do to become Speaker of the House, will actually become Speaker of the House. And and th there's a range. Um, if you ask people, give me a percentage, like, you know, give, give me if I give you 100 bucks, set you to Vegas, you could bet a number on Kevin McCarthy being House Speaker, what number would you bet? And I've had people uh, say there's as little likelihood of McCarthy becoming Speaker as 20%. And other people will say, no, 90%. Almost certain that he's going to be Speaker. Um, where are you on this? And I hate to put you on the spot. I mean, I don't really hate to put you on the spot, but I hate to make you speculate if you don't want to speculate. But more importantly, what's the impact? And, and I'm paraphrasing here a question that actually Haley floated before we, we jumped on. What is the impact of these current spending fights, all of this chaos that we're seeing in, in the lame duck on the, the prospect that Kevin McCarthy becomes speaker, if any, does it matter at all? In, in terms of what McCarthy's detractors are saying publicly, it, it does. Um, to, to take the second question first, um, Representative Andy Biggs of, of Arizona, uh, who is mounting this uh, primarily protest challenge against McCarthy, he knows he's not going to be speaker himself. He just wants to, people to have somebody else to vote for when, when that vote is held on January 3rd. He wrote uh, an op-ed today basically accusing of Kevin McCarthy accusing Kevin McCarthy of saying the right things on this spending bill and for the Freedom Caucus, the right things means vote against it. He's been trying to to whip Republicans, telling them to to oppose it. Um, but Biggs basically said openly what Haley and I were, were joking about earlier is that McCarthy's privately hoping that it passes because he knows that it would be chaos um, if they try and punt the spending fight to uh, to next year. Um, and so that, I mean, the the, the people that have publicly come out and opposed McCarthy's speakership bid are almost all in that kind of libertarian leaning, small government freedom caucus type. Um, it's uh, Bob Good, Haley, you can help me, Ralph Norman, Matt Gates, uh, and then Biggs. Biggs. There's, one, there's one more I'm not remembering. Yeah. So th th they're all his biggest Rose, problem rosedale from yes, montana montana but um, i do want to make a distinction if i can jump in declan yeah. like the reasons for opposing him are like very varied um like matt gates his main reason is mccarthy's leaked like conversation saying that gates should be kicked off of twitter or something after january 6th um the, the conversations after Smart, that when, the smartest thing mccarthy's ever said when I, mccarthy was saying like he's i'm done with this guy saying that about a uh, trump so like there's there's that. There are people who are upset that McCarthy did not support impeachment for um, Mayorkas, who's the DHS secretary sooner, um, which he doesn't currently, but he like was making overtures toward, oh, we'll launch an impeachment inquiry. Um, that was after he said he hadn't seen anything that rises to that level, uh, I think a couple months ago. So like those are a couple of the reasons. One of them actually was the NDAA last year, I believe, um, or actually the, the House's version of the NDAA Earlier this year, they were angry that McCarthy didn't like use that leverage of, of like passing it to get the mask or uh, the vaccine mandate uh, removed, which it, it actually is going to be in this uh, this newest uh, version of the NDAA. Um, so it, it's like things like that. I, I like verbatim. I think Biggs has said, "Oh, we're like we're worried he's not a fighter. Like you you need a fighter against the Biden administration, someone who is going to clog up government, <laughs> and, and that is what they are looking for." So. I don't know. I, I find the reasons for opposition interesting. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, it, his biggest concern right now is his right flank. Um, and, and those are varied interests, but they are kind of in the vein that he's not either MAGA enough or small government enough or conservative enough or good, you know, what, what have you. Um, and kind of the, the more and more and more that he caters to that crowd to, to win their support, he needs to basically, I, he can afford what to lose five of them um, in the in the vote on January third. Right now, right, um, right now. Yeah, and, and and so and he lost thirty one the first round of votes. So he needs to pick off twenty six people. And as he's doing that, he's 
turning himself more and more and more to the right, he can't lose people kind of on the moderate side either. So that's that I think we'll start to see that become a concern the more that he has to promise these far right uh, members of Congress. Haley, you mentioned he went to the border and basically insinuated that they're going to um, consider impeaching uh, DHS Secretary Mayorkas. What if he comes out and uh, you know, to to get the support of of Gates or one of these other people, he comes out and says that they're going to impeach Biden. Does that force Don Bacon and some of these more moderate people in New York to be like, oh, I'm not I'm not signing on to that. So it, he has to thread this needle uh, with very, very, very limited wiggle room. Um, and he's got about three weeks to do it. So good luck, Kevin. So can I can I float my theory of how this unfolds? To both of you and then invite you you to tell me why I'm wrong or crazy um, or um, confirm that I'm brilliant and and, uh, smart in my prognostications. (laughs) So nothing's going to happen now. Like right now, there's a lot of scrambling, but there's not action. Nobody's doing anything. Narrow narrow margin. This is going to come for a vote on January 3rd. McCarthy's doing everything he can to secure commitments from people to vote for him. He'll get a lot of them. He won't get as many as he needs. And on January 3rd, there will be this sort of moment of chaos in the middle of this whole thing. And if you want to make an argument that Kevin McCarthy ends up as Speaker of the House, the moment of chaos will result in the Freedom Caucus types who opposed McCarthy stopping for a moment and saying, we're not going to get any better than this guy. He's close to Jim Jordan. Marjorie Taylor Greene has his back. He's willing to hear us out. He's not chastising us. Marjorie Taylor Greene, to just choose one example, can give a speech that is defiantly pro-insurrection and fear no rebuke from Kevin McCarthy. So if that's where you are, you can say this is we're, we're going to take this. This is good. We've made our protest. We've had our moment. Um, that's one scenario. There's another scenario where McCarthy doesn't have the votes. This goes to the floor. Um, and uh, I think people upon realizing that he doesn't have 218, he maybe doesn't have close to 218, which I think is is possible. Everything becomes chaos. And then there are a series of of votes. There's a ton of in-the-moment horse trading. Random people could emerge as potential um, consensus candidates for Republicans. There's also the possibility that there is, I think this is still remote, but a consensus candidate that takes some Democrats and some Republicans. Um, but out of the chaos, somebody emerges either that we could probably guess if we were to offer three names, maybe the three of us would, would offer a couple of the same names or somebody totally random emerges and we have, you a don't have to be house. a member of Congress to be a speaker. None of, of us would imagine. I mean, I, I tend it's to think be it me. will be, I tend <laughs> to think it will be a, a, a member of Congress, but something totally random happens completely unexpected. Where am I wrong to anticipate? Like, so I think that that kind of chaos is what's going to happen. Like, that's what I, if I had to project it out, that's what I think is going to happen. You are correct. A- am to I think crazy? That. No, no. Well, so I think it's interesting. People are conflating like those sort of crazy, like outside the box ideas of like, oh, Liz Cheney's going to be speaker. Like, they're conflating that with the, like, the fact that like the potential for chaos is is really strong and it's like and they're like oh it's you know that's just like fan fiction like that's not gonna right happen. but, it, but that's an like, important distinction you're every, right everybody is preparing for multiple votes and yes. like you've had kevin mccarthy saying like oh i'm like i'm gonna take as many as vo- votes as it takes like to do to pull it off Haley, um, correct me if i'm wrong I don't think this has ever gone to multiple votes before. Oh no, you are wrong. I'm actually excited to talk about this. Recent history, recent history. It took, it was a hundred years ago, I think. Yeah. I would need to check that the last speakership race went to multiple votes, but there was one in the 1800s that took months. Like there were like over a hundred votes on the speakership race. Sorry, I I find that bit of trivia fun. Oh, that's Um, great. Yeah. But just like parties are much 
in recent history, like they tend mm-hmm. to line up behind, like the fact that that has not happened is an anomaly. Right. I'm pretty sure it was 1923. So like almost exactly a hundred years. Um, so it, it will be, but the fact is that people are preparing for that possibility. And that's like, I, what I find it interesting, I talked to um, political scientists, I think, I think it was Matt Glassman um, from, from Georgetown University. And he was saying, you know, we we all think about like the Jim Jordan types as the kind of person that they're going to bring forward because like Matt Gates is saying Jim Jordan should be speaker. No. Like those are the you're like, could he do it? Well, like the, the people who have the best chance in a really like broken conference like this are people who are well liked by everyone, people who are sort of bland ideologically and like people who can like bring the conference together. Um, and so the, the people he listed and honestly, I've heard his name for years, it's like, this guy could be speaker one day is Patrick McHenry, who is um, a top Republican. Right? I think North Carolina. I would. I think it's North Carolina. God, that would be embarrassing. South, South Carolina. Carolina. No, it is not South Carolina. Definitely not no. South Carolina. Never. I think he's Virginia, but I could be wrong. I'm sorry. No, it's, it's North Carolina. Let's Google it. North Carolina 10. <laughs> I'm so yep. sorry. Oh, yeah. fake, fake he's news. watching. Anyway, I, I think... He was saying someone like that or like um, Tom Cole, who's the top Republican on the rules committee. Like those are the people who are well liked by everyone who would actually also have the chops to make those negotiations um, with Freedom Caucus members. And we sort of have a, like a, an idea of what they want. A lot of it is procedural stuff. And, and the biggest thing when you talk to them is direct election of committee chairs. They want the committee members to be able to elect who the chair of the committee is and leadership currently has a lot of say in who could be nominated for that. Um, and that that's one of the biggest things that leadership, um, is like pushing back on. Um, so it's like, it's like those kinds of things that will determine freedom caucus members supporting people. But again, like the, like the sort of the chaotic part of it is like the Biden opposition angle. And it's like, well, like how aggressive do they want the speaker to be? And like, that's to me sort of nebulous. Like I don't, Maybe McCarthy can promise to rip up the State of the Union speech behind <laughs> Biden. Maybe that maybe that'll win him over. <laughs> maybe I, I don't know. I don't know if anyone's like demanding an impeachment of Biden yet. But it's like even for, like after the speakership race, you're going to have opportunities to make that demand. Like that's just how things are going to be. It, it, they're they're all approaching it like uh, like Wiley e. Coyote running off a cliff of like no it, like they're just defying lot like. You, Kevin McCarthy cannot lose more than five votes on this. Like seven people have already come out publicly saying, I will not vote for him under any circumstance right. whatsoever. And they're all just like, we'll figure it out. And then as soon as like they look down on January 3rd, they're just going to come crashing down. You know, you can, you can sustain belief as long as you want, but the numbers are the numbers. And it just seems like uh, there's really no other way out of this. Yeah. And I think there's like a bit of deference going on. Um, <laughs> Like from from reporters uh, to McCarthy, like he worked on this for years. Like this has been the goal for years. And what do you, Haley? What do you mean by deference to? McCarthy? I mean, these, like you have, have you have strong views about this. You can share them. This is an intimate group. It's not going. I don't know if our readers can group. tell, but we like we do not have a close relationship. At least I do not have a like a very close relationship with Kevin McCarthy's office, and that has been the case for years since the Weekly Standard era. Um, and it's not like antagonistic, but like on my end, it's not antagonistic. At least I try not to be, but um, it's pretty antagonistic on my end. I, <laughs> I, I will say, I mean, there's some philosophical difference. I mean, let's so let, let's just pull back the curtain. So I, I, I don't I've I've not liked the way that Kevin McCarthy has conducted himself. I think he, he is a transactional guy. I think he doesn't really believe in much. Um, he succeeded by by doing that. That's fine. It's certainly the way that a lot of people in Washington work. But I think if you either if you don't have principles to compromise or if you have a few principles and you compromise them readily, it's that that's not going to work well with me. So I've been critical. That probably makes your job harder. I, I hate to say I've worked around it. It's fine. <laughs> um, but but it, but it's not a small thing. Um, it is there are other publications and and again in the interest of full transparency part of what happens in a moment like this is publications either write stories that McCarthy world 
want them to write on background and they share details, stories that make McCarthy sort of the hero of the story or the um, at least cast him in a favorable light, if not maybe quite the hero. Um, Just to interject here, when, when Steve is saying that, your mind probably jumps to like right wing conservative media, Fox News, that kind of thing. It's not just conservative. That's not who we're thinking are, of. Yeah. 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 But people write these stories so that they can keep their access. I mean, this is access journalism. It happens a lot. It happens a lot in Washington. It's frustrating for those of us who don't do it. We don't write stories at, at the dispatch for the purpose of currying favor with the sources. I mean, uh, some people describe this as source greasing. We just really don't do that. Um, a lot of people do it and do it sort of as a way of doing business. And it's not worth going down the rabbit hole of who does it and why. But I mean, it's it's not an insignificant factor at a moment like this. And, and the interesting thing is we talk internally about the possibility that Kevin McCarthy goes through this process and ends up not as Speaker of the House, which I think is a real possibility. But if you were to read sort of mainstream accounts of this, that's not treated as a live possibility in 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 most places. Is that what explains this coverage, guys? So I would I would caveat it it like it depends it's not publication wide. It honestly does depend on like the individual reporters. Sure. Like there's some like and I think it most manifests in um like what they leave out of the reporting. And so like like it's it's fine and good to include McCarthy World's perspective. And like they have it's an, good. You, right. you do it. Right. And and like they have a point that, you know, he was doing the fundraising. He has a good relationship with members. Like there, there are reasons to think he like could possibly pull it off. But there's also this huge dynamic of like when you and and I think also part of it is some reporters tune out the far right members, but they like they have podcasts. They have things they like they're online and they're saying what they think. And it's like sometimes very fringe. And so you have to like tune into that and, and you have to either like decide to take it seriously. And sometimes it is worth taking seriously. And and this time it is just like a, a function of the math. Like the math means it is more likely than not that things are going to get very chaotic. Um, and you have McCarthy saying, I'll stick it out multiple rounds of, of ballots. Like people are preparing for chaos. And, you know, a lot of reporters are covering it fairly accurately, doing a good job actually talking to the Freedom Caucus members and like, you know, trying to uncover more about it. Um, I think there's other ones that are like, oh, like it's fan fiction to think anything like crazy is going to happen. I don't think so. I think it's entirely possible something crazy is nothing happen. is fan fiction. I mean, our, our our history of the last eight years suggests that in many ways, the most likely outcome is the craziest thing that anybody can imagine. Right. And I guess it, <laughs> I guess it depends on your definition of crazy. Like if you're not following politics, you might be like, this guy, Tom Cole is suddenly speaker. But like, if you've been covering the house for a long time, you're like, yeah, Tom Cole yeah, is speaker. Sense. That makes sense. Right. Um, so I don't know. I guess it's a matter of perspective as well. So Declan, let me, I want to shift gears a little bit um, and, and get to potentially to presidential politics and sort of this, this post-Trump post Republican Party, if we're in a post-Trump Republican Party. There was a, a poll that um, generated a lot of buzz in Washington um, today and beyond, USA Today, Suffolk poll with some yeah, sort of striking um uh findings we should caveat this as our own sarah isker would would instruct us to that this was registered voters not likely voters it's two years out from an actual election so there are reasons not to take these numbers as um definitive or predictive in any way but um, as the USA Today story reports, by two to one, Republicans and Republican leading voters now say they want Trump's policies, but a different standard bearer to carry them. 31% say they want the former president to run. 61% prefer some other Republican nominee to continue these policies. And when you give them the option, you ask the question, 
almost two to one by double digits, 56% to 33%. These Republicans say that they prefer Ron DeSantis to Donald Trump. My question, blunt question to you, Declan, you dodged the percentage question earlier. Um, I noted it. I'm sure most of our viewers noted it. Are we at the end of the Trump moment in American politics? No, um, because I, I think we are nearing the end of the Trump moment in American politics where Trump is leading that moment. But I think the Republican Party, for intents and purposes, is going to has been dramatically reshaped by him and and will reflect him and and kind of the movement that he created for a long time. Um, there was if this other thing that I was working on uh, earlier this week was back in 2016 archives and found a uh, quote from Mitch McConnell in June 2016 after Trump wrapped up the nomination, being like, "Yeah, he's the nominee, but." we're going to change him a lot more than he changes the party. Um, very confident, very, uh, you know, very straightforward. Like, yeah, you know, this is just how, how things will go over the next four years. Um, didn't turn out that way. I think we, we have a different Republican party than, uh, it, it, there's no going back to the, the old Republican party. Um, at least not in anywhere in the near to, to medium term. Um, but, I do think you're right that Trump is no longer going to be leading that bus. Um, I think he's done a lot of self-inflicted damage. I, I, to even, I think I'm more in Sarah's camp on, on these polls. Like I almost ignore the polls entirely, but I do think that directionally what that poll is saying is correct. Not necessarily because of what it found from respondents, but there are so many other factors that kind of lead me to that conclusion that, his fundraising numbers have not spiked at all since he launched his campaign. That's, that was a great measure of enthusiasm in his previous campaigns. Um, just the, like the, the lack of attention that he's getting, um, you know, theoretically he's the one person running for president. He was the person who in 2016 CNN just plastered an empty hanger where he was going to hold a rally in eight hours with a, with a countdown to eight hours till the Trump rally. Like, he was all anybody could talk about for six years of our lives. Uh, um, people are just tired of it. And, you know, he's, he's ostensibly running his campaign. He's held no events. You know, he'll, he is formidable. Like if it's him or the field, um, I'll take the field. I would take him over any one specific challenger at this point, um, just in terms of like the sheer numbers. Uh, but I do think that he's not going to be the nominee. I think somebody Somebody will um, will surpass him. I I can't guarantee that it's going to be Ron DeSantis. Like everybody seems to be anointing him already, um, but it it really does feel like Trump's just out of juice. Haley is Trump the Republican nominee in twenty twenty four? I don't follow politics. I don't do campaigns. <laughs> <laughs> she's, she's like, get get me back to some human rights bill. I want to talk about the Uyghurs. <laughs> it's true. Or appropriations. So I um I just okay, think let it's me rephrase it. What do you hear from House Republicans about Donald Trump, Haley? I think it is incorrect to, to say that any support for Trump has waned among House Republicans. Like they're like two thirds. Really? Yeah. And, and I think Lauren Boebert did not endorse him. That, so that like, was... I think it's, I think it's interesting. They're not endorsing, but after watching them for like, I don't even four, four years, like there's always like these sort of like dances they do. And they, like, they always come back and it's like, if they, if they, see the political expediency of coming back to Donald Trump. It, it, like they will. And so I don't like, I don't think there's any kind of moral stand. I think it in a situation like this, it really does depend on like what. No, it's entirely self-interest at this point, but right. he, like, I mean, that's why people did not abandon him after January 6th, but they did after, or they are starting to after the midterms, like he is right. now. It's, it's purely a power question. A political loser. A loser. They will lose their races yeah. if they tether themselves to him. Um, and so you'll see a lot of like, uh, they're not going to, uh, there's not going to be some grand, like I was wrong for six years and now I am 
seeing the light and I am spurning my like that's not gonna it's just gonna be gradual and like he'll kind of fade and then he'll you know continue to mouth off and and whoever is the Republican nominee he'll probably sabotage them or try to but he's just kind of gonna it's gonna gradually just go away <laughs> and and no, people will know. kind of pretend that it never happened they'll ignore a lot of the things that they did for the last six years it's like uh it'll be like the hangover it, you, you know a lot of bad stuff happened um we're gonna go back home and we're gonna we're gonna move on and pretend that we did not do a lot of the things that we did i think it is i think that like the tone of how the party operates and it like is changed for a long time. So like I don't like like you were saying it's his like, influence remains. I mean right. I don't think any of us disagree with that. I guess the question. So Haley, let me let me make the question a little more pointed to you. Um, if I gave you a hundred dollars and sent you to Las Vegas, and I know you oppose gambling, I would never. Of course you wouldn't. Wait, I would never. I would never support. You know, I did Florida Girls State which is like a, like a mock government thing. And my mom was like super anti casinos. And like, that was my bill that I introduced was like banning the casinos. So, we, so you, you judged so, correctly. <laughs> so, so let's assume that you've banned casinos, but just as a, a like a sort of side bet, side fun with Yumi and Declan, you could make a bet on whether Donald Trump is the Republican nominee or not. Do you think he is or no? I know you don't follow politics. All right, forget it. You don't have to answer the question. We had a whole we had a whole conversation today with the dispatch staff about how they should feel welcome to come on the dispatch live because you're not put on the spot. And here I am, like grilling <laughs> Haley. I think, I think the biggest, and I'm not going to like answer, but I think the biggest determining factor in that is if like 40 people run, <laughs> like that's just dumb, and it's looking like they might. So I think if he does become the nominee, it's because they will have split the vote so much. That, like they just gave him the path to do it and like this is a guy who was president who had a very strong base of support who could easily like like i know everybody's like oh people aren't paying to him, attention to him right now okay like so, it's so he could get more attention like, not, like not getting an answer to the question we, <laughs> we appreciate it it's fine you, you can take the moral objection um declan didn't answer the percentage question earlier so we have five minutes left uh we make 38 percent we that's might go. Right. Well, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> say it and say it with authority, like you mean it. <laughs> and there's some scientific basis. So we've got a bunch of questions I didn't get to. We started the questions uh, from members too late. So we're going to treat this as the proverbial lightning round. Um, and I should note that I got grief from uh, a friend of mine, Scott Campbell, for not stealthy enough filling, refilling my wine glass. For those of you asking, and I'm sure that's David Cottrell. This is Alto, <laughs> Ribera del Duero, red wine from Spain, not surprisingly, playing to type. So uh, let's let's run through a bunch of questions. We have great, great questions. Um, and I'm, I'm going to save the Star Wars question for the end because I'm just... Can I just defend the, like, the, okay, who, my decorating skills? Who are you skills. people? Who are so you someone people? is wondering why it's my only home feature. I just moved recently, and this is the, the room that we have decorated the least. And so this was my, like, one thing I could put in here, and it was an anniversary I was hoping gift. it was the room you had decorated the most. It wasn't <laughs> Like, you wanted to host Dispatch yes. Live I'm in your Star room. Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't strategic. strategic, she would have us believe. So uh, a lot of people asking about Kirsten Cinema. Um, Declan, I'm going to start with you and then we'll go to Haley. Why did she do what she did? She's a Democrat. Um, there are uh, lots of people resurfacing videos from Kirsten Cinema from 10 years ago where she made arguments about the Democratic Party and caving to independents and, liber and moderates. Um, is this a policy decision? Is it a political decision? Is it both? And what does it mean? Um, in, in practical terms, it means very little. Uh, there's a reason why I think we had two sentences on it in Monday's morning dispatch. It's not going to really change things all that much. It's very much about navigating internal Arizona state politics ahead of her 2024 re-election bid. Um, if she ran as a Democrat, she would get primaried and she would lose to uh, most likely Ruben Gallego, who's a, a House member, more progressive, um, and has been very, very, very critical of 
her moderate stances, her w- ability or willingness to work with Republicans over the past two years. Um, and so by changing to an independent, she can no longer be primaried in a Democratic primary. Uh, she will be most likely be running. It basically is a game of chicken where she's daring Democrats. Either you run somebody against me and the Republican wins or you back off. Let me run as an independent and we have a shot. Um, and I'm going to and I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to continue to vote with you. Right. Not a small thing. Right. And, and that, that's the thing is like she will continue to be a little bit idiosyncratic in terms of, you know, the issues that she cares about and, and will side with Republicans on or refuse to get on board with some of the bigger spending stuff. None of it really matters for the next two years anyways, because Congress isn't going to do anything legislative wise. Um, have fun covering that, Haley. But uh, it, it doesn't really matter other than whether or not she's the nominee in 2024. What do you think, Kim? I don't. I think I. I just avoid politics, like speculation. Like I don't know what the. It's not my uh, my role. Okay, what does it mean for how the Senate operates? Anything? Nothing? Not much, but I do. Like, Humor I think suggests the, it's meaningless. Like it doesn't matter. I think matter. the personal effect for way. her is like maybe potentially less harassment. <laughs> And like, like there are people who like followed her into a bathroom, like screaming at her. And like, I'm sure some of those things could have played a role in her decision. Like when you're not technically part of the party, like maybe there's less pressure to have to vote on the party line all the time. Um, And like, just for, but I don't really have to be on that. Yeah. Angus King of Maine, Bernie Sanders of Vermont are both technically independents. They vote in caucus with the Democrats. It's going to be very similar to that. Um, Although she did say she's not, she doesn't think she's going to attend their weekly lunches anymore. So she'll just have lunch by herself while <laughs> Democrats and Republicans get together and she'll just kind of hang out on her own. But uh, other than that, I mean, it's it's really a procedural thing. But it gets a lot of attention on Twitter and those other places because people like to fight about. Uh, but I mean, I would say like there there's a reason people pay attention to it because she's made the kind of dramatic ideological philosophical changes that she's made over the years right so it's not like it's not crazy to pay a lot of attention to it if this were an evenly divided senate this would be yeah tremendous and i also think consequential. it's consequential it, it could be consequential in that it inspires other senators to do something similar like yeah. you know i'm i'm done trying to fend off a primary from like wackadoodles back home i'd rather just vote how i'm gonna vote and stand up for my own record and see if if i can win an election that way um i I, I do think a great outcome you know that's we have that we have a couple other states trying out ranked choice voting i think there are people that are ready to fix uh what has become a very very bad primary system so quickly a couple couple last ones jonathan rogers Haley, this is to you. Does small government, quote unquote, describe the Freedom Caucus now? I don't know. So I don't know how to describe anyone at this point. And I I often get like comments on uphill, like, how dare you call them such and such? And like, I'm sure you can find examples of me describing them that way, because I have. Um, but it honestly, for me, depends on which member I'm writing about. And so like today in, in uphill, I describe them as far right. Um, and I think that's fair for, for most of them or all of them. I like, it's all, it's different than it used to be. Like, it's, it's like, I think some of them are more into like using the power of the state to like crush their enemies. And it's like, I don't know if that's small government. Way more of them. It's not small government. (laughs) So I, like, I don't, I don't know. I, if anyone has thoughts on this, I am I I am interested in your comments when you complain about how I like have phrased it because I we I read the comments. No I read, we the read comments. the comments, people. Yeah. Declan, Declan, <laughs> question for you from from Eileen Wright, one of our smartest uh, members and actually a contributor to the Dispatch. I'm curious what the dispatchers think about talking points memos dump of Mark Meadows texts, which happened today. I think it's like I haven't had time to read all of them. That's the the main thing. I think it's disturbing how many members of Congress were actively pushing to overturn the election. I like I don't know how much of that change like 
we knew we knew that two thirds of the House Republican conference voted to overturn the election after the Capitol was ransacked. Like we already knew that about their character, but we're learning more about individual members and what they were saying. Like we should declare martial law. Like I think that's useful to have, like for the record, and I'm and I'm like glad they're publishing it. I'm I'm sure we will be learning more with the final January sixth committee report as well. Exactly. Uh, I'm glad Haley jumped in there because I have not read those at all. Um, I, it's on my list of things to get to, but uh, I have not. Well, I, I think I'm I've talked my about January this stuff for next week. Yeah, I think I've talked about this here before, but I am in the Mark Meadows texts. Um, I, maybe I haven't talked about it here before, but I, but I I used to text Mark Mark Meadows pretty regularly. Um, I started texting. Gave him the idea, right? For January sixth, yeah, like it was my first thing. It was like this is you should do January sixth. <laughs> yes, fight it. No, so I sent him. I mean, it, apparently, so I got a call. This is a funny sort of inside uh, baseball story. I get a call from somebody in the January sixth world, um, the committee world, who noticed that there was somebody who was posing questions to Mark Meadows that started out like sort of semi-friendly trying to understand what was happening. And then increasingly over the next six weeks got, got hostile. And this person later sort of, I think by deductive reasoning concluded that that was my cell phone number. Actually, I think this person concluded that that was my cell phone number because this person typed it into their contacts list and I showed up. <laughs> but the questions I started to ask, you know, in the days after the elections, like, what's the argument here? Like, what are the specific ob objections and what's the evidence you have to make the case? And um, I didn't get much back. We had a little back and forth with with me and, and Mark Meadows. Um, so then I kind of escalated like, boy, this seems crazy. I think this is conspiracy, conspiracy theory stuff. Are you stopping the, you know, surely you aren't going along with this, you know, sort of flattering, flattering him. Um, and in fact, he was not only going along with it, but he was driving the argument. And this continued apparently to a point where I got very frustrated and said, like, this is crazy. You're crazy. It's all crazy. What are you doing? Um, but somebody called me well in advance of the release of my text and said, is this you? Because um, I hadn't. I, had I think you come out looking okay. Totally. I don't think, I think you're the, to, had the totally most bleak, figured it out. The most bleak ones, like it's helped, like it's it's useful to know that which members of Congress were like actively pushing for anti-democratic, like like foolishness. But like the most bleak ones already came out, and they were the people texting him, "Hey, can you, like from the Capitol, can you help us? Like we like we're under siege." I think uh, Jake Sherman at Punchbowl was like he's one of those guys who was texting him. It was like, um, like. And I remember Jake, I think it was Jake at the time, posting video of people breaking through the glass. Like they were like, he was close to those people and he was texting him and was like, hey, like, what are you guys doing to help? Yeah. Like, are you sending any, you know, backup? Um, I don't know if he answered. I would need to go check the, like, the, the messages themselves, but he got several like that. Um, so we'll close, we'll close with this. Uh, six minutes after nine. We don't want to keep people long. Uh, the January 6th committee report is likely to come out next week. I think early next week rather than middle uh, of next week. Um, I think it will be a long report. Uh, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pages. Um, I think even the summary will be very long. Um, given what you all know about it, do you think there will be news? Are we going to learn new things in this final report? Um, and if so, what new things will we learn? Or will this be sort of a a broad uh, capturing of, of what happened? I, Declan, do you want to answer? Do you have any thoughts? I mean, I'm, I'm going to jump straight to the transcripts. Um, I'd prefer to just read what people said um, kind of without the... I, for dramatic effect, for um, to advance their argument, to to kind of cons consolidate a lot of this stuff. I mean, they did thousands and thousands of hours of interviews. Like, you're not going to be able to put all of that up there. But um, I'm just that's where my brain goes. Is I want full context. I want like what are the questions being asked? Where did people push back that weren't highlighted in these in these committee hearings? Um, 
And I think that that will be kind of where we get new stuff. And I think you'll end up seeing um, Republicans, people sympathetic to Trump, uh, highlighting some of those as well um, and being like, see, this was this was taken out of context or this was um, used somewhat misleadingly. Um, but I think there will also be some very interesting stuff uh, like the Meadows text that we were just talking about um, that got left on the cutting room floor with with some of these hearings that um, are interesting for one reason or another that the committee just decided to to cut for time. Haley, final word to you. Yeah, I, I agree a lot. I think I was I found myself kind of frustrated with the hearings just because it was all congressional hearings are formatted sort of uh, poorly and like you're just working with some like constraints on timing and like I just wish they had been publishing I don't know interim reports or something because like I feel like a lot of the like actually like newsworthy stuff for like people who write the news will be in the report itself um, and it sometimes felt to me like the committee was focused on driving the news but not like giving us everything they had thus far and so I was just like give me the information so so I'm, I'm looking forward to the report I think it will be useful and, and like you said Declan um you know like a like a 30 second clip from an interview isn't the same as being able to read the whole transcript of that person's like account of that day um right. so I, I think just like the full picture of like what they gathered will be um, yeah interesting yeah i want that full picture i'd like all the transcripts the, the, the more we can get the actual raw information which yeah. allows people who care enough to to give it a real look to to create their own picture i think that's good for everybody the more transparent they could possibly be the more primary source documents they can provide us the better off we're, we're all going to be um i, I you know I, I hope that they um accurately characterize the witness testimony and generally what happened they're going to be accused of partisanship no matter what they do um you know i i think it's good to be mindful of the fact that there are going to be people who are skeptical of the report and the way that the committee acted but to report it with the understanding that you're not likely to convince those people and you shouldn't sort of take shortcuts or try to shape the report to reach them when the facts are what matters. So I think it's been the process of the committee has been um, sort of driven by facts. And that's important, particularly in a committee that is so heavily dominated by Democrats and with Republicans who are very sympathetic to the arguments that Democrats have been making on these things. Good to do that and good to have the facts sort of stand on their own so um sorry we went way over this is way over for the dispatch live 9 10 10 mm -hmm. minutes over uh appreciate you all sticking with us this was a great discussion i actually feel like um Haley, i should have had this conversation with you two weeks ago and not in public so that i could have like done a better job of shaping what we're going to be presenting to our our members, but this was incredibly informative, uh, very helpful. Uh, Declan, thank you for joining us. Haley, thank you for your reporting. And we will see you. Are we going to see you next Tuesday? I think so. We'll see you next Tuesday. And then we won't see you the Tuesday after that. Good night. Have a good night. Okay.